Okay, boys and boys, uh, Pushing Rubber Podcast, episode 104. I'm your host with the most, Adam Piggott, coming to you from somewhere in Holland with a second coffee of the morning. Um, it's been a little bit of time between drinks. I apologise. I think it's been four or five weeks since I put up a podcast due to the fact that uh, I uh, went to the USA. I didn't have... Uh, my equipment with me to record um, and since I got back in Holland things have been a bit disrupted uh, and to be honest I I wasn't really in the right state of mind to get something down on audio though I was still able to keep writing uh, because of some of the uh, the things that are going on here um, but uh, it's a uh, it's a Saturday morning just still three minutes to twelve here in Holland, quite cold. It's only about five or six degrees centigrade. I've been out and about. I've done my shopping for the week. Um, fueled up the car. Bought a nice bottle of uh, 18-year-old Glenfiddich Scotch at a, at a vastly discounted price, which I saw. Um, picked up some pipe tobacco and uh, ready to settle in for the weekend. And I thought, what better way to settle in for the weekend than to... Um, to get uh, this much-needed podcast uh, out and recorded, which is uh, what I'm doing now. It's great to be back. I hope that you guys didn't miss me too much. Um, quite a uh, quite a hectic six weeks. So many things have happened. Um, the trip to Louisiana, very successful professionally for for work. We uh, we did everything we hope we achieved everything we hoped to and more. Um, we had a Massive result. Worked very hard for it. Myself and my colleagues. Uh, really happy with the outcome. Um, Louisiana itself, we were down in Hauma. Hauma. Huma. Humor. I don't know. I don't know. H-O-U-M-A. I don't know how you pronounce it. Uh, about an hour out of New Orleans, heading towards Texas. Deep Cajun country. Town of about 30, 35,000 people. Um, quite... Uh, I wrote a few articles about about the trip while I was over there. Quite um, in your face, I suppose. Um, I was struck um, by uh, the lack of infrastructure. Um, I think uh, the general condition of the roads and uh, that sort of thing. Old style, nineteen fifties um, traffic lights hanging off overhead wires, kind of swinging in the wind. Um, roads crumbling. Um, lane markings on roads mostly completely faded it was difficult to know where to stop at the traffic lights because you weren't sure exactly where you know how far to go forward um, quite uh, an incredible um, uh, disparance, disparity between um, rich and poor in that town with with um, uh, a lot of homes literally falling to pieces in the middle of the, the downtown area. I mean, it, it looked like they'd just been abandoned. There was one in particular that we walked past with uh, uh, some sort of large fishing boat out the side, a car and the house, and uh, the whole thing was obviously been abandoned for years. Someone's just walked away or, I don't know, deceased or something like that, and no one's, no one's looked at it. Um, I, I don't know whether there's so much room over there that, you know, you can pe- abandon super yachts on the sides of canals just you know driven up stripped and 
rusting away on the side in the middle of a town. You know, it was uh, quite bizarre to see. And then um, we'd actually been there maybe for a week and we thought the whole town was as poor as dog shit. And then um, one day we, we took a different road to, to get somewhere and suddenly we're in these palatial mansions on the waterfront with huge outdoor area. I mean, just completely over the top um, in many aspects. So that was uh, that was quite confronting. The, the weird thing, though, of course, was in the, the poor areas, it was kind of, it was a bit of a disparate, disparity in the sense that the house would be obviously ramshackle, but then sitting out the front of these houses and each house would be a $30,000 truck. Um, so the... <laughs> It's over there. It really seems to be a case of what you drive, um, and uh, no one walks. If you're walking on the side of the road, you're basically homeless. <laughs> uh, no one walks anywhere. We never saw anyone. I don't think. I think I only saw people on bicycles who were destitute and didn't. Never saw a kid on a bicycle. Kids riding to school on a bicycle. That's obviously not going to happen. You've just got the standard. Uh, American yellow school buses. It's like a throwback to Ferris Bueller's Day Off or something like that. Um, so no kids playing in the street or anything in that regard. The obesity levels were through the roof. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Um, we arrived the day before Mar the main Mardi Gras parade, so we got to see part of the Mardi Gras parade, and it was actually quite close to our hotel, so we just walked uh, through the back streets and then got a spot and... Um, what can I say? Um, it was very, very strange. Um, obviously, the floats are reused every year. They just kind of tart them up a bit. And apparently the people, if you go on a float, then you you, you pay money. They, they buy all these trinkets, uh, like beads and little little toys, little toy footballs and toy animals and stuff to throw into the crowd, toy swords, plastic swords, that sort of thing. Um, but they, they throw... Uh, so this this you'll have you'll have all right. So first you'll have a, a marching band, a school marching band come along, and these were in various degree of uh, talent, uh, energy, enthusiasm, and skill. Um, some of them were quite good. The marching bands, so they're all doing the same sort of thing, um, and uh, we were kind of close to the start of the uh, of the the, the parade. And I found out later that it was one of five parades that day. And the parade was something like 10 or 11 kilometres long. Uh, it was quite cold when we got there. It was only about four or five degrees centigrade. So the kids had that going for them. But uh, some of those tuba players lugging those tubas all the way down that parade, I, I was pretty sure that a lot of them weren't going to make it because a lot of these kids were fat. Uh, so a parade would a, a school band would come along. And the crowd, you know, depending on the skill level, if, if, the, if the school band was, you know, good and they were into it and they were really, you know, doing their marching thing, and, yeah, the whole the crowd would be getting into it. And the crowd was, you know, big on both sides and people had obviously been staking out their spots for some time uh, to get the best places that they could. Um, but then some of the bands were pretty bad. Uh, and the kids <laughs> look on their faces like, oh, shoot me now sort of thing. Um and uh, so you'd have a band that had come through, and then you'd have a float. And the floats, the floats, obviously, they're, they're two level on these floats. There might be, say, a Spider-Man float. So you basically had this float with Spider-Man at the front, and that's all it had to do with Spider-Man. It would have big speakers on it blasting out some sort of music. Normally, you know, 80s or 70s or 80s rock, thank God. There wasn't too much horrible rap 
Uh, and then you'd have two levels in this, and there'd be 15 or 20 guys, mostly. And there was mostly guys on the floats, actually. I don't think I ever saw a chick on the float. A lot of them were masked, so you couldn't see who they were. And they were, they were throwing the beads and stuff into the crowd. Um, so that the crowd would be quite subdued when the bands went, the school bands went by, and then the float, then the float would come, and the crowd would go wild, all screaming to get these trinkets. You know, I mean, like, you know, and and, and some of the, uh, like, there were cops around as well, and sometimes the cop, the police had to come up to one of the floats and tell the guys on the floats just to calm it down because they weren't just throwing uh, these trinkets into the crowd. They were, they were. They were launching in, them into the crowd, <laughs> you know, like they were throwing, like they were throwing grenades at the enemy or something. They, I mean, it was quite, uh, it was quite a lot of aggression. You had to, you had to watch out, especially the little footballs that you didn't get clogged in the back of the head. Um, and some of them were, were actually launching them as far as they possibly could and as hard as they possibly could. And the worst one was if there was someone on the float who recognised someone in the crowd. And then the person, the crowd, would make the mistake of going, oh, hi, man, it's me. Hey, Andy, how you going? And Andy would see the guy in the crowd that he knew, and then it'd be on. I mean, like, they'd be launching shit at this poor individual. <laughs> it was brutal to watch. Um, and that, that would go through, and then a school band would come down. And a, So what was complete mayhem uh, would then go back to the school band, and you know everyone's just standing there waiting. And then the school band would come past and now be a Batman float and the whole thing would repeat itself. So my colleague and I stood there and watched that for about an hour and then we realised that school band float, school band float, school band float, it wasn't going to change. Um, all right, we've seen it. <laughs> we then wanted to go and get some food because we were quite hungry and it was lunch. So we walked down the street along the parade route trying to find something to eat and... Uh, it was actually really difficult. Um, food over there was interesting. It's like everyone over there had the nickname was Big, had Big in front of it, so it was Big Mike, Big Al's seafood, or Big Mike's ribs, or Big John's burgers, or Big Dave's attorneys at law, or you know, it was just like, I mean, all the advertising was big, you know, Big this and Big that, and. You know, this is just a nickname for a really fat guy. Um, yeah, we went to, we had recommendations from the from the locals we were working with down there. You know, go to Big Al Seafood. We went there, and that was pretty crap. Probably, had, I probably had the worst oysters oysters I have ever had in my life without getting poisoned. Um, and uh, then we went to Big Mike's Barbecue, and it was it was it was, like, it was a pretty good barbecue, but it was a more like a takeaway place. You had to line up for everything. And I got ID, ID'd for a beer by this really surly uh, chick on the counter. And I was just like, sweetheart, I just bought a beer off your... your I was just like, I'm 47 years old. You want to ID me? You must be joking. Um, and eventually, uh, I wrote about this bar. We, we, My colleague and I, right across the road from where our hotel was, was this sports bar, and it was a chain, and uh, uh, it was actually called Walk-Ons, and we, we, one day we were like, let's, let's just go there, let's just go there and check it out, and you know what, it was, it was the best thing we had while we were in town, the food was consistently good, amazing, no, but consistently above average, they had like 50 beers on taps, all the waitresses were thin and mostly attractive, and friendly, 
Uh, and it was a great place to sit. There were, there were TVs everywhere. We got into ba- baseball while we were there. So um, I think LSU, Louisiana State University, I think it's the, is it the Tigers? I think it's the Tigers. Uh, we, were, we were following them. Good on you, Tigers. I know, I know, I know, I now I know who their opening batter is. So I've got a good idea. Um, we enjoyed that. And we just went there every day after work. It was that same place. I think the, the staff were collectively quite upset when we eventually left because we'd been going there for over two weeks. Um, and uh, then we went down to New Orleans for a night um, and I met up with some other people down there that I know or that we've been working with and had a fine night in the French Quarter, um, bought some cigars, taught the, the other two lads how to light them properly and smoke them properly, got some macanundos that went down really well. We found a great little place to smoke them that the guy in the cigar shop in uh, the French Quarter, you know, um, uh, recommended us. I was like, where can we? Oh, we got these. Where can we smoke them? And he goes, I'll oh, just go down here, and you'll go down this little alley, and then at the back there's this little door, and just go in there. And we followed his directions, and it was just a fantastic uh, bar restaurant. You know, the really dark booths, sophisticated. And then uh, in a in the middle of it was a courtyard. So the whole bar was built around the courtyard. So you have to go through the bar to get to the courtyard, and. And the little, little courtyard there was where you could smoke. And they also sold cigars there as well, so they were very cigar-friendly. And we ended up staying the whole night there, and uh, or most of the night there. Ate food. It was just a, a really, really nice way to finish it off. Kept going after that. The boys that I was with went to an absinthe bar. Well, they had absinthe. I just ordered a rum. I was like, I'm not hitting this shit. Um, and then flew out. So, um, yeah, the uh, the overriding aspect for me of the trip to the US was the friendliness of the people uh, and the pride that they have in their culture and country. Um, it was uh, it was very refreshing. Uh, I never had any problems over there with anyone. Uh, really, everyone were were extremely hospitable, hospitable, um, warm, welcoming, open, um, genuine, uh, good people, and it was a, a real pleasure to be down there. Um, Obviously, it's not a perfect part of the world, and no, no part of the world is. It, uh, it obviously has its, um, has its challenges, but uh, it, was, uh, it was a wonderful trip, and I'm really glad that I went. Um, while I was there, of course, uh, the ex-good wife uh, took the opportunity to um, evict me from the house, uh, which I'd been, our joint house, which is in both our names, which I'd been living in since she moved out. Um, to be with her, and she went and stayed with her parents, um, which meant, and she, you know, threatened the lawyers and all the rest of it. And it just wasn't worth, it just wasn't worth the fight, uh, unfortunately. So when I came back, I, I, uh, and some someone asked me, was I surprised at this and at this move? And I, I wasn't that surprised. I'd, I'd considered it. I didn't think she was going to pull the trigger while I was in such a important trip, um, in the middle of it. Um, which you know was a, an extra level of stress um, that I just didn't need um, at that time. Uh, but surprise, not really. Disappointed, yes. So I understand because uh, I understand why she wanted to get away from her parents without me getting too uh, too uh, uh, saying things are too indicting here. Um, but uh, I do understand, but the way it's been done and of course of course uh, my su- support network here is um is non-existent because i've only been here for a year and a half or so um and you know i've spent that time with my wife obviously and, and establishing myself professionally 
Um, so at the moment, it's an interesting juxtaposition professionally. The job I have, that's going very well. Um, and, you know, they're very pleased with me and I'm very pleased with them. Um, and on a personal level, of course, my life is in ruins. There's no other way to look at it. Uh, uh, it's completely completely fallen apart. Um, so uh, divorced because uh, I got off the plane on a Tuesday and uh, we signed. She'd, she'd all had it tallied up to sign the divorce papers on the Wednesday morning. I mean, this was uh, this was all railroaded in this sense. Um, so I stayed three or four nights in our house with her. I just stayed in the spare room so we could get everything sorted out. And that was actually quite good. We uh, had dinner together most nights, just talking about things. Um, like I said, I do understand. Uh, she's she's worked a very, very difficult job for very many years, uh, out of her own choice, I should say, still. Uh, and I think the stress is just about close to breaking her. Um, and uh, the whole situation is not good. But uh, yeah, I was only in there for three or four nights and then I had to get out, so uh, homeless. Um, I think, uh, yeah, it's been very stressful. It's been very stressful. And I did have a couple of, uh, you know, very bad days. And, and the trick on very bad days is just to not go out. It's just to... It's just to um, not not to deal with anyone and, and and definitely not make any um, any decisions on anything. Uh, the, the the major decision you want to make on that day is whether you have a second cup of coffee. That's about it in the morning. You just just don't uh, just don't go anywhere in that regard. Um, and so you know this is this is probably as regards to adversity. Uh, and I've been in a lot of uh, tricky situations in my life. Uh, money's not an issue now, um, though I'm not, uh, money's, money's fine, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not rolling in it, but, you know, money's not a problem at the moment, but obviously the, the situation is, uh, is far from ideal. Um, and of course the only reason that I'm still in Holland is because of, uh, professionally what I'm doing, because you know, that's quite, uh, quite rewarding and a a, a good company and excellent colleagues and good remuneration um and if i if i went back to australia at this point i really would be starting at at zero because i'd have to i'd have to find a job as well and and at my level of stuff that can take easily take six months to a year uh, to nail something down at a level that you want to have so um for the for the time being i'm here um but without a place, and, and, and trust me, Holland is uh, tricky for housing. Holland's very tricky for housing. Uh, it's very expensive. The, the housing markets is, is, in the last two years has gone from the doldrums to complete explosion. I think it's gone up probably 80% in the last two years. So it's a terrible time to, uh, to want to purchase something. Uh, but rent is... Uh, extraordinarily expensive here as a as a uh, percentage of your average income I, I just don't know how there's a lot of rent control stuff too where you can put your name down and get public housing and that sort of thing but of course you're competing with with hordes of uh, hordes of immigrants in that sense uh, and the local the duchies themselves are very unhappy with that situation so 
Uh, I've just shelled out for one month for like a professional apartment that's, um, uh, you know, furnished and all serviced and quite expensive as well. Um, while I uh, work out exactly what's going on. And four weeks, that's not very long time. A month is not very long time. I should be going back to the US uh, at the end of this month for a few months to just uh, nail down what we uh, what we started over there. So that also gives me some breathing space as well. Um, but um, uh, yeah, in, in the sense of, you know, where am I going to be? What am I going to do? Um, this is... Uh, this is rather a uh, a tricky tricky situation. Um, the obviously the circumstances are more or less beyond my control. Um, they're very this is a very difficult time, um, and you know this is this is where you know I have my twenty eight traits of the modern man, the things that I write about, the books that I've written, being relying on yourself self-discipline, being stoic. Um, this is where, as they say, the pedal hits the metal. This is where it all counts. This is where uh, you really see whether you have the grit in you to be able to get through really difficult and challenging times. Um, and to be homeless for me is really difficult because... Uh, in the house, I had all my stuff, um, and that all my stuff is still sitting there. Uh, we've agreed that you know I can keep my stuff there for a certain amount of time while I find something else, which is which is a big help. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, since my ex-wife walked out of me last year in October, I was able to come home to my house. My things were there, and even though my personal relationship was in shambles. There was still that security of the home, that security of um, having my things around me, the comfort of that, um, which is really important. So when when I got the email down in the US that that basically she was making the move to to kick me out, it was uh, I'm not going to under 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 play or downplay it. it. It was it was panic stations for me in that sense. It was a real a real problem um and i had but i just had to put it on the back burner because we were working seven days a week down there 12 hours a day to get the stuff done that we needed to do it was just an extra level of stress that that i just didn't need um the plane flight home was uh difficult because it was a plane flight not home <laughs> if you know what i mean uh, and i hope that most of you don't i hope most of you aren't in that situation um I mean, I have, in a sense, most of my adult life been a professional expatriate. I've lived, oh, there we go. I've lived all around the world in many places. Uh, I've lived out of a bag uh, for many years. When I when I left Perth on my motorbike 25 years ago, um, how long ago was it? Yeah, close to 25 years ago. Uh, all I had was a bike and. The stuff on I could carry on the bike, that was it. That's what I rocked up to Sydney with. Um, but it's different when you get older in the sense that I think when you're younger, when you have the... I chose to do that adventure on the, mic, on the motorbike. That was my decision to do that. So I wasn't homeless in the sense that I was 
I was adventuring. It's a mindset, and you might be able to, you might make the conclusion or observation that okay, now Adam, it's more or less the same thing. You know, it's another adventure, and it's not. It's not when you're when you're thrust into it uh, by circumstances that are beyond your control. Um, then it's not an adventure; it's survival, and those are two radically different things. And uh, as someone who's been in both situations, you, you you can't be in a survival situation and flip a switch in your head and magically pretend that it's adventure. That that's not how it works. I can guarantee you that's not how it works. If you think that's how it works, then you're in for a rude shock. Uh, if and when it happens to you, because you can't you can't flip that switch. You can't. It's um it's very 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 difficult. Um, and uh, I've written a few articles about it over the last couple of weeks. I just basically, what am I doing? Well, self-discipline. Um, the place that I'm staying, it's all clean every day. I fold away my clothes. I wash the dishes every day. Um, little things like that. I got the car clean today. Um, I I make sure that every I'm, I'm making sure that I can create as much order as I can in the disorder. My life is in complete disorder. My life is in complete chaos. So as a reaction to that, I need everything that I have to be in its spot so that I'm able to function as best I can. Um, that's, the, that's the first thing I'm doing. Uh, the second thing I'm doing is not making any major decisions at the moment. I'm just throwing myself into my professional work uh, and doing my best to keep myself as calm and steady as I possibly can. Uh, I'm, I'm religiously going to the gym because that's, that's hugely important for me, both in a sense to just get anger and frustration and aggression out in the iron um, and also to keep myself in shape. Um, I'm in pretty fantastic shape for my age. Um, which is which is important, I suppose. Being a single man, though, I can I can definitely uh, uh, say or declare that I'm not looking <laughs> for absolutely any romantic attachment, even for a single night. I'm just uh, I'm just completely not interested in it. Um, and in the course of my professional life, I don't really meet uh, women anyway. Offshore oil and gas is not a place where um, where a lot of uh, a lot of girls hang out, um, so no no major uh, no major life altering decisions um, at all, and not spending any money or as as less as I least amount of money as I possibly can, um, even though even though money is not a problem at the moment, I'm I'm being even more disciplined than I normally am. Uh, you, you might have heard about, okay, Adam, you bought a bottle of scotch today. Yeah, well, that's going to last me the next three or four weeks while I'm here, and I'm not going out at night, I can tell you right now. Um, at the moment, uh, on the weekends, I cook food for the week, uh, and then I get up every day, I go to work, I come home in the late uh, afternoon, after an early morning start. Um, I'll write something on the blog for the next day, generally, uh, check a few things out, have my dinner. I'm doing a lot of reading. I've bought uh, a dozen or so books with me. Um, in bed nice and early on the weekend, do what I've done this morning, go and get what I need provision-wise, and then 
that's it. I'm keeping my head down. I'm keeping my head down and my nose clean at this time. And that's, that's for me, is the absolute best way to um, survive uh, this, um, this period. Um, and I think the most... Uh, I, I saw that uh, on Vox Day's site that Milo has a, uh, a new book out um, called... What is it called? Uh, How to be Poor. I don't know what's happened to Milo. Um, maybe he's had a fall from grace. I think it's from him being deplatformed. Um, and basically, I think Milo's book is kind of what I'm going through right now. And there was a quote from Vox Day that the big message from the book is don't feel sorry for yourself. And that's incredibly important. That's incredibly important. And that's that's definitely not something that I'm doing. I'm not wallowing in self-pity. I've had a couple of bad days, and those couple of bad days, I just keep myself to myself, and I'll play video games. That's it. I'll put the headphones on, I'll eat food, or I'll go to the gym, and I'll, I'll just won't, I won't, like, if you're going to have the bad day, have the bad day. But don't fall into the self-pity trap. I mean, think about it this way. It'd be very easy for me right now, looking around the room I'm in, for the whole thing to be a mess, my clothes unwashed, the bed unmade, no food, junk food in the fridge, eating badly, going out and getting McDonald's every night, drinking in excess, uh, not going to the gym, not shaving, not looking after myself. And if you do that sort of thing, you just get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. You you, you go down into bottom. Um, I, I, and you've seen that, you know, many. I've heard of that many times. And you you read about it in novels. The, the, the protagonist of the novel, something bad happens, and then he hits the bottle. And he and in, in the in the arc of the story, whatever story we're telling, or the the writer's telling, or the film is telling, they have to hit bottom before they they can climb up. And uh, that's not what you want to do. You don't want to hit bottom when you find yourself in really difficult times. What you want to do is is lock. Uh, you, you're, 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 think of yourself as a ship and your ship has been torpedoed uh, now when your ship's torpedoed you don't uh, run around screaming and, and just you know, open up all of the flood doors and say ah, let's, 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 let's take it as far as we can do no when your ship's been torpedoed <laughs> you shut the watertight doors you do damage control fire control uh, you injured people to the sick bay and you, you, you fight that damage and you keep that ship afloat, get it back to harbour, the safety of harbour and get it repaired so it can go out and fight another day. Um, you, don't, you don't, and the same thing with your life. Something's really bad's happened and, it's, and once again, the circumstances are outside your control or even if they're in your control, but you just made the wrong decisions. You don't, you don't let bad go to worse. You've got to batten down your hatches. You've got to put your fire and flood control teams in place. And that means stay disciplined. That means eat well. Cook for yourself and cook good food and hearty meals. Don't go around spending money. Right? Don't, don't drink or, or excess and definitely don't touch any drugs or anything like that. Keep yourself fit. Take pride in your appearance. Go get an extra good haircut. Okay, surround yourself with nice things. If you want to go out, go to an art gallery, go to a museum, and go for go for walks. 
in the countryside. Yeah, these are the important things to do. I've been watching a little bit of uh, of old television online. The um, the fantastic BBC adaptations of John Le Carre's uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and Smiley's People with Alec Guinness in the the role of Smiley. Um, six part episodes, so I've got twelve there, and I've just been watching one. So an hour long on YouTube, all free. Fantastic, one a night. There we go. Because it's fantastic television. It's intelligent. It's sophisticated. It rewards the viewer. It rewards the viewer's time, and and in this time of uh, of great turmoil, I need to be able to do things that are good for me, no matter what I'm doing. And and this is why you don't want to wallow in your own self pity and and discover that what you thought was the bottom when the, the bad thing happened to you, actually discover at the bottom is a lot, lot further down than you ever thought possible. And that if you do allow yourself, uh, if you do wallow in your own self-pity and allow yourself to go down there, then that's, that's even more difficult to come up from. And you might find that, that, that the things that you had that were good, you end up losing them as well in the process. So... You're all going to face difficult times, guys. You're all going to face difficult times. And the difficult difficult times and how you handle them is what defines us as people and particularly is what defines us as men. Um, this, is, this, this is when you find out who you really are and what you're made of. And it sounds, it sounds so easy. Okay, then, well, you know, just every day, you know, make your bed and cook your food and Go to work and do your job. Well, how easy do you think it is to go to work and uh, and and give one hundred percent when you've got this sort of uh, you know turmoil going on? Um, I went to the butcher today, uh, the butcher that I normally go to, and uh, I've been going there for eighteen months. They they know me very well. They know me by name. They said hello, and one of them asked me uh, how my wife was doing. What are you saying that one? Do you just lie and say fine? Do you say, oh, actually, you know, we're divorced? Do you say, actually, she left me and then threw me out of the house while I was away on a business trip? Just those, those, those moments like that when it all gets brought home to you, okay? Um, the sense of loss, the sense of betrayal, the sense of disloyalty, um, the fact that, that um, financially this has ripped the guts out of the 10 years of planning that we, the, the two of us spent together as what I thought was a team, um, which has put me, which has put me back uh, an incredible amount of time, incredible amount of time. And at 47, it's not, it's not like, you know, I've still got years and years and years and years and years to go. There's a, there is a finite limit on what I'm able to do. And I understand that. I can do the math. I work out how many years you've got left to work and what you can theoretically earn in that time and how much you can theoretically save and your costs and, and all the rest of it. Um, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is actually, on a, just on a financial level, this is devastating. No. Um, so, but you can't wallow in your own self-pity. You can't do it. You've just got to get on with it. 
You've got to get on with it one day at a time. No major decisions. No major decisions. I'm very, very fortunate in the sense with work. They want me to go back to the US. So it's, it's a kind of win-win situation. I mean, they need me to go back for a few months just to be able to anchor what we've got over there. That's great. I can get my head out of the, what we're doing here and what's going on here. We can get away. Uh, I, won't have, I won't have any living costs over there so I can save more money. It gives me time to sort out in my head where exactly I want to be and how I want to achieve it. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's, hugely, uh, that's hugely fortuitous uh, and, a, and a very big help. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, uh, yeah, financially, it's, it's extremely tough. Um, personally, uh, it's, uh, it's devastating. Um, as someone who's, who's, who's a Christian, um, divorce, as I consider it to be unacceptable. Uh, uh, I have my ex-wife saying, you'll just find someone else. And of course I could find someone else, but that, that doesn't really, uh, that doesn't really gel with uh, what I believe. How do I go forward from that? You know? So it is, uh, and she got the cat. She got the fucking cat. Because I can't have the cat because I'm here in a, in a, in a one-month apartment where <laughs> I'm not going to allow pets. And then I'm off, off to the US and uh, the Duke. I, I lost the Duke. And I was never a cat person, but the, the Duke was the cat of all cats. Everyone loves the Duke. Um, for the vast majority of time, when I wrote for the whole length of the blog, it's been going on. When I wrote, when I wrote something, the Duke was either sitting on my lap or sitting on the table next to me. He used to watch me play video games as well. He loves them. Absolutely loves video games. You know, he'd follow everything. He'd, he'd meow when something bad happened. Loved them, especially Skyrim. The Duke loved Skyrim. Okay, if you're in Skyrim and you were and you were galloping along on the horse, the Duke loved that. So I don't have the Duke, you know, hanging out with me. Um, so, I mean, yeah, guys, yeah. Uh, what, I, what what would you like me to tell you? You know that it's uh, it's not that bad. Uh, this too shall pass. Um, um, you can't pretend it's an adventure, like I said before. You can't. I got an email actually from someone. Um, let's have a look here. Um, some uh, someone else who was uh, homeless, someone that uh, I have contact with, I've known for some time. Um, he says, "Hope you find some place suitable soon." Having been in your shoes, I can attest that it's a miserable experience. I sometimes wonder if a sizable chunk of our homeless were somewhat sane when they originally lost their homes but were driven mad by the stress of having no place permanent to call home. And it's difficult, it's difficult to argue with that. It's difficult to argue with that, which is why it's so important to keep yourself grounded as much as you possibly can. When, and, and that's why that lose, getting, having to move out, losing the groundness of the place, uh, 
the place that I uh, that was home to me. Uh, even if it was for a short time, it was the first house that I'd ever purchased in my life. Um, to be to be in the situation now where having to go on and look for a place, and what do I do? Do I do I do I buy now? But is Holland the place at the top of a market? Um, and if things don't work out for some reason in the near future with my employer, if something happens, because things can happen, what then? Um, it's um, it's definitely a tough one. So you have to be you have to be stoic. Um, you have to not wallow in self pity. And. You have to have structure and you need to create that structure as best you can. And you need to take it one day at a time and not not let yourself get drawn into too many conversations with other people about what's going on. Um... I'm not really talking to anyone about it. Um, people at work obviously know the situation, and and but I'm not uh, I'm not I'm not making a point to talk about it because all that does is reinforce the shitty situation that I'm in, and it doesn't help by unburdening it from your chest because people don't understand. For the most part, um, and so I find it's better just to to dig deep. You can only count on one person in your life, and that's yourself. That's it. You cannot count on anyone else. That's that's the fact of the matter. You might think you can count on lots of people, but but you can't. Um, and that's and that's fair enough. We all we all have an we all have our own problems. Without being able to solve other people's as well, I'm I'm not expecting the people that I know, either friends or family, to solve this problem for me, because they're all dealing with their own crap, and just because my crap is extra crap at the moment, doesn't alleviate from what they might be going through. And so I don't want to I don't want to burden them with. Uh, with uh, with my problems, and I think that's important. The mistake I made with the, with the, the marriage was was um, assuming that uh, she was in it as much as I was. Um, once again, you know, it's uh, a marriage only counts in the difficult times. You know, when it's all when it's all swimming, and we had a great marriage for a very long time. We we're married for over ten years, and when it's all swimming and and you know, it's all going well, you can enjoy those moments. But you have to keep in mind that the bad times are coming, that shit is going to be thrown your way, and that uh, and that you need to be able to deal with it together. And it's much much better to try and work this, these things out together than to throw it away. Um, I still think it's been an incredibly poor decision uh, on her part, um, but because divorce is so destructive, it really is. I think uh, 
I've heard that divorce is worse stress-wise than a death in your family, like a major death in the family. Uh, and I can attest to that. This has been. Um, before this, I thought that the worst time of my life uh, was my severe illness, ulcerative colitis when I was in Canada. Nah, that doesn't come close. Uh, before this, I thought the worst, worst time of my life was um, getting fired in Uganda and not having a ticket out um, and, or any way to get out of the country. Or you know, eh, That was challenging, but that's nowhere near to this. Before this, I thought that uh, when I owned and ran my own nightclub, discotheca in Italy, uh, and the GFC hit and things got really, really tough and it didn't go the way that I wanted um, in one aspect, I thought that was the toughest point in my life. Uh, and it was up to this, up to this. But uh, this, 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 this knocks it out of the park by far and so that's okay I'm 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 glad that it's happened to me now with the life experience and skill sets that I have to be able to deal with it the fact that from the age of when I moved out of home at the age of 17 and from that point on um, uh, it's been one one thing after another uh, lots of different jobs, lots of different professions, lots of different countries, continents, uh, adventures, hard times, good times, finding things out about myself, changing myself, making myself into the person that I am proud and happy to be. That's, that's the rock that's getting me through because, as I said, you can only depend on yourself. I, I, I really like who I am as a person, if I, if I was as insecure now as I was when I was in my late 20s or in my, in my 20s, at any point in my 20s, I don't know whether I, I would survive this. I really don't know that. I don't know whether I'd survive this. I don't know whether I'd have the, uh, the toughness to be able to deal with it. Um, which is why the work that I did my, on myself in those years is so critical. You... You do the work on yourself to make yourself as a man so that when you're truly tested, you're able to step up and deal with it. That's, that's, that's why you make yourself as a man. Uh, so you have the, the courage and the internal fortitude and the guts and the grit to be able to handle what life throws at you. And trust me, you will have crap thrown at you. You will have it happen. And you have to be able to deal with it. And you're only able to deal with it if you make the right moves when you're in the shit. And trust me, that's really difficult to do. To make the right moves when you're in the shit is the hardest thing there is. Nothing else comes close. But that's when the right, right moves really really count and the foundation that you need to be able to make the right moves when it's all going to shit is the work that you've done on yourself making a man out of yourself that's the only way you can get through it that's the only way 
Friends can't help you through something like this. Family can't help you through something like this. Only you can get yourself through. And only you can make sure that you don't make the situation worse by wallowing in self-pity. So I hope that that these words are, are helpful for you. I hope that these words, that my experiences, are my tough times, can inspire you or propel you if you need to really look at who you are. You might be going through quite easy times right now. You might be loafing along. Hell, you might be some millennial in his late 20s who's living at home with his parents. If you think you're learning the skills, if you think you're getting the experience necessary to be able to function when the shit hits the fan by, by doing that, then you're seriously deluded and you're going to find out the really hard way. The really hard way. So the challenges that I um, documented in my first book, Pushing Rubber Downhill, they shaped, that set the foundation for who, who I am. The second book showed how I began to use that foundation to solve problems. And now, 10 or 15 years later, when I find myself really, really at the lowest point that I've ever been, in all honesty, in all honesty, it's nowhere near as bad as it could be. Divorced, unwillingly, thrown out of my own home, in a foreign country, with no friends, no close friends here, just colleagues, um, a bit of money, uh, a good job, but that's it. It could be a lot worse for me right now from what's happened in the last three or four months than it actually is. It could be a very, 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 very lot worse indeed. So even though I'm not talking about counting my blessings at the moment, at the moment I don't have that many blessings at all. And what I'm trying to say is I'm not looking at this with the, the rose-tinted glasses of the glass half full. Oh, well, you know, it, it could be worse. What I'm saying was it would have been very, very much worse if I wasn't as strong an individual and personality as I am. And the only reason that I'm strong is because I've spent my entire adult life trying to get stronger. My entire adult life has been a journey working up to a point where I could survive something like this. And as I sit in this little 45 square meter studio apartment, which is extremely overpriced, uh, with the front window overlooking a terrace on a bar, so I have to keep the curtain closed so that people sitting on the terrace can't directly see in to me. This is the only thing I could get. As I sit here, um, I remind, I'll use this in the future to remind myself, okay, to remind myself of, of how low 
it was. And I've taken a photo of this room. I've taken a photo and I'll keep that photo. I'll keep that photo to remind me of what it was like. Um, and that sort of thing's impo important. Very, very, very important. Am I gonna be fine? I, I, I hope and assume so. There are no guarantees in life. Um, but I definitely have as much chance of anyone of extracting myself from this situation, of anyone that I know. Um, I don't know out of all the people that I'm, that I'm friends with, out of all the people that I know in a, in a uh, profound way, I don't, I don't know many people who are tougher than I am with what I have had to deal with. So, you know, I'm happy about that. I'm happy. It really is a great comfort to me in this time that I am a person that I like. You've got no idea how important that is. And it sounds, it sounds obvious or it sounds not like that much at all. But to be a person who's secure in themselves, if I was insecure right now, if with who I am, yeah, you don't want to be that when this sort of thing gets thrown at you. You don't want to be that at all. It'll break you. It'll stand a good chance of breaking you. Like I said, I had a couple of really bad days in the last couple of weeks. A couple of very low days. I'd say last Saturday, a week ago today, was the lowest point for me, which is why I didn't do a podcast last weekend. Technically, I could have. I had all, I had all my equipment with me, but I just knew, no, nah, now, now's not the time to talk about this stuff. Now's the time just to batten down the hatches, you know, and uh, wait till the storm passes. And I know that I'm going to have crappy days in the future, but hopefully it's on an ascending scale and the low point was reached. And the low point was reached by the circumstances, not because of what I did to contribute to the situation. Like I said before, if you let yourself go, if you lose your self-discipline, you can go a lot lower than what you think you will. So there we go, guys. There's my return podcast. I hope it's of uh, interest to you. I hope it's uh, of uh, value to you. Um, how can you help me out? You can purchase my books, Pushing Rubber Downhill, Run Guts, Pull Cones. Um, that definitely helps me out. You can follow my blog. I'm up to uh, 395 followers. I'm just 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 a tad five more and I hit 400. So if you read my blog but you haven't actually followed it, click me over the, the 400. That'd be cool. Okay. Um, follow this podcast. We got over 200. That's great. Bit by bit. Moving along. Um, and spread this around. You know, the more listeners I get, the more people I can help. Help other people 
with, uh, with my own experiences and my take on them and my ability to be able to see through my own shit. Um, so this has been the Pushing Rubber podcast, Pushing Rubber episode uh, 104. Uh, what will I call it? I'm not sure. I've got a couple of ideas. We'll see. Um, tune in next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Ciao.